0: So I think uh, these guys are all great, and I'm I'm really happy to see that they have um, have all taken a unique approach, and also in some cases even uh, come together to uh, for a greater good. And um, what I see is true leadership, uh, bravery, and also sacrifice, and realizing that it's not just about them and how much money they can make and how well their families can live but also extending it to a movement that encompasses so much
1: opulent inventory our proud partners here on the show from iphones to macbooks to apple tv to apple watches to trade-ins and much more now you can have the apple product of your dreams Visit Opulent Inventory on opulentinventory.com and on Instagram. My guy Nash and Guardy are the very best in the game to provide you the Apple product of your dreams. Now, let's get back to the show. back here on the steady podcast radio show a very special episode season four episode seven of our great show our black history month episode myself and my right partner michael gray back at it again yet again here on the radio gorgeous 78 degrees this evening here in our orlando studios my boy in the tri-state area mike how are you feeling today
2: I'm feeling great, man. It's, you know, it's, it's all as well on my, end, on my end. It was NBA trade frenzy day. Uh, man, we got a lot to talk about. I'm excited, man. It's going to be a great show today.
1: Why don't we waste no time, Mike, and get right into it today. The biggest of them all. It was the trade deadline. Lots of free agency frenzies. Teams were making moves to up position to get into contention and others getting into the play-in tournament. And so let's go with the biggest news of them all. It's been noted, Mike, that the Sixers and the Nets have been engaging in talks surrounding trades between James Harden, the future Hall of Famer James Harden, and Ben Simmons. Simmons' situation in Philadelphia has gone toxic, quit on the team. Teammates and management have gone thus far to say that, you know, his head is not right and not into basketball. And so both parties wanted to make this, Mike. What was your first perspective when this
2: went down? Uh, My first perspective was it was like you you had to look at it from three angles. It was like, wow. It was like, one, with the James Harden situation in Brooklyn, you had to look at it from, like, the perspective of more so – uh, what was the cost of running Harden? Because basically, that's all he was was a rental. They only got sixteen games out of the big three. So, what was the cost of running Harden? What was the reality of what their situation eventually came into, and then what they've now 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 become? It's like the what they gave up for James Harden and the Brooklyn Nets. It was it was it was um it was a lot when when James Harden first got there, giving up LeVert, giving up Allen, giving up those picks, those future picks. It was it was tough. But then you have a situation where. Um. Now, 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 what it, what it became to the 16 games played, uh not reaching a championship. It's it's like now, what they did was they were very strategic. Brooklyn was very strategic with their moves. They were eventually Philly was trying to get a couple first round picks from them. What they did was they waited it out and realized no, and and they they were able to get two first round picks out of Philly. So it was it was a game of chess that Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets were playing. Throughout the entire time, and you and you could see that um, James Harden forced their hand because he had the leverage this summer being a free agent, and they knew that if he if he if he didn't get traded by then, then he was going to walk for nothing. So Brooklyn made sure that they got some type of compensation out of him. Philly, we already know that he was he. The, Philly was ready to get rid of him more than more than Ben Simmons was trying to get a, get out of there. So, it was an even trade on both sides when it comes to that perspective, but I do feel like uh, Brooklyn won the long haul when you step away from the elephant and you really see the bigger picture because Brooklyn was able to get some picks for the future and they were also able to um, gain some leverage and actually getting some conversation back for James Harden in the long haul. I don't feel like Philly lost per se in the in the uh, in the in the short term because that's what they did they they were forced that their, their hand was forced because Joel Embiid is lmb is in a situation where you have to maximize his full potential right now so that's that's what philly philly did they maximized it for the short term but in the long term i do believe the brooklyn nets have won this trade
1: well i couldn't agree with you mike more than anything that you said there when you look at it first off you think that the Sixers won any trade, right? Any trade that you think of, if you go back into the history of sports, whoever gets the best player in the trade <laughs> wins, wins the trade. Right. And I agree with you right now. The Sixers are in win now mode. They finally got the all star. No disrespect to, you know, Ben Simmons, but they actually finally got the perennial all star that they wanted to pair up with Joel Huns and Bede in Philadelphia. Now there's no more excuses, Mike, for the Philadelphia 76ers. Now there's real expectations, championship expectations for them. But when you really dig deep into this, you look at what the Nets got back, you're like saying, for Ben Simmons, we got him and two first-round picks back. Mm -hmm. And we know Ben Simmons can't shoot. So we got a guy that shoots 40% plus in Seth Curry with him and Andre Drummond back, knowing that the Nets are light up front. And that gives them a little mass and girth inside. And then you start to think to yourself, like, wow, okay, maybe the Nets won this. And so, you know, I, I think that to me, I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I think in the long haul, the Nets, in short term, the, the Philadelphia 76ers. But I, I will say this about the Nets, though. Although they won it in, in the long haul, Mike, the Nets, they're not playing for long haul. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they came to Brooklyn to team up together with one mission and one goal. And that was to bring the state of New York, and that includes the Knicks and the Nets, their first title since 1973, right? We know the Nets have never won a title. The Knicks have won since 73. They, they had a mission to do that. So I'm not sure if they are in it wanting to – they care about those first-round picks, anything right now. But I do believe that if they get a motivated Ben Simmons, right, if they get a motivated Ben Simmons that's hearing all the noise – that's fueled and motivated by what his ex teammates in Philadelphia were saying about him. I do think that his skill set flows very well, Mike, with what the Brooklyn Nets do because he doesn't have to worry about scoring, right? That's the strength of Durant and Irving. What he does bring to the table, opposite of Harden, is he is a legit 6'10 defender that can switch one through four, right? Mm-hmm, so he absolutely. gets some defensive versatility. A guy that's a Perennial all NBA defensive guy. And you get a guy that has a high IQ for the ball game. Those two things you can say about uh, uh Simmons. And I do like the pairing with um KD and and and, Ker- and 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 Kyrie, excuse me. And you let those guys focus on putting the ball through the net and let you know Simmons impact the game in different ways. And then I love the Seth Curry pick because you always want to surround shooters with weak scores. You know yes. the game plan is to stop them, Mike. You want to be able to double team up. You got to have a guy like Seth Curry to put the ball in the net. I like how they have put Patty Mills and Seth Curry, two great three-point shooters. We'll wait till when Joe Harris comes back. Absolutely. I think this bodes well for the Nets. But it's a lot of uncertainty with Simmons, what type of Simmons you're getting, and the whole mandating thing in New York where we're, we're listening and we're hearing noise that, that might be uplifted. But – I do think it's a win, but there is some uncertainty with this, Mike.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely uncertainty until we see. I mean, we we had the same uncertainties when James Harden came to Brooklyn, whether or not they were going to match. You know, I just think I just think when you have such master, such skilled skilled players at their positions, and KD and Kyrie, and the IQ of these guys, and, and being able to you know just just feel the game out, and when the game slows down, their ability to be able to break down half court defenses uh, to a T, and just just uh, you know as pure hoopers. Uh, I I, I do believe they will will find a way to make it happen and get it done. And And they'll be able to bring the best out of the rotational players around them. You're absolutely right. Seth Curry coming in as another knockdown shooter, along with Patty Mills and Joe and those guys. Cam Thomas, it's a, it's another great fill, and then Andre Drummond coming in there. That's where I think Philly lost us a a, a tad bit as well, because now some of the de- defensive pressure, it, you have more onus on Joel Embiid down there in the paint. One of the biggest upsides for Philly over the last couple months was Andre Drummond coming off the bench and giving you that defensive rim presence. Um, you know, just, just consistently when Embiid was on the bench, that was crucial. Not having that is going to be key, and and not being able to get another center to uh, offset that is going to be key as well. So we're, we're going we're to see in the long haul as well. But uh, it would be interesting if these two played in the playoffs and, uh, uh, for one of the rounds, wouldn't it be heavy? Yeah, we, we, would, we <laughs> would.
1: I would sign up for that, Mike. <laughs> Could you imagine headlines <laughs> in New York, headlines in Philadelphia, two of the marquee craziest fan base cities for their sports teams. Like that, that, that would make uh, – sign me up for a seven-game series like that. Um, now back to Philly here, Mike. I, I want to get your thoughts on them. Now you have Embiid and you have Harden. You expect Harden to sign a long time, long-term long deal knowing that he has that relationship with Elton Brand and Daryl Marley from their days in Houston. Um, now comes coaching with Doc Rivers, a guy that since my beloved Boston Celtics in 08, he hasn't done much since. So wh- wh- what's their ceiling, Mike? What, what do you think the type of damage that that pairing can do?
2: Right, it's, it can do, it can do uh, distinctive damage. It really depends on what what type of attitude you get from James Harden, and which, um, how healthy is that hamstring going to be in the long haul, especially when the playoffs come? Uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. But what he brings to the table from a point guard perspective is going to be is going to be special for them because we know how dominant Embiid is. But um, if he can catch fire offensively, that that can be a nice pairing. We already know uh, defensively what Thabo brings to the table. They were able to keep him. Danny Green is still on the roster. It's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of pieces still there for the squad. Uh, to make some noise, Tyrese Maxey is a huge upside for this team. Um, I, I really do see, you know, Kirk Miles. I do, I do see this team. In a position where they can compete for a championship, compete to get to the finals, it really just comes down to the performance of their top players. James Harden and, and Embiid will figure it out throughout the regular season. Doc Rivers will put these guys in certain positions in order to succeed, and they'll mesh and they'll be able to figure it out before the playoffs. I think it really just comes down to certain matchups they run into, and will they be able to will they be able to contend? But based on what we see right now, uh, Philly should be excited for the short term, and and they they should be excited for what they could potentially get in that that James Harden. Joel Embiid, pick and roll. It's going to be special going to the basket.
1: Absolutely there for sure. Uh, Nobody's played better, Mike, in the last 20 games than Joel Embiid. He's been a demon-possessed. I don't know. (laughs) He's been playing lights out there for sure. Definitely tops in the MVP conversation. Let's take a look at a broader stance right now, what's going on throughout the other moves that happen in free agency. You had Dante Vincenzo go to the Kings. The Kings have made noise, Mike. Parent getting him and Demaris Sabonis to pair up with Fox in uh, the in Sacramento. So I like what they've done. The Bucks acquiring Serge Ibaka. I thought that was a sneaky move that they made um, with the absence of obviously losing PJ Tucker in free agency. But now they get Ibaka, that that tenacious guy that can give him some interior presence inside and also on the offensive end, uh, pick and sh- pick and pop um, with the on a three-point line. So I thought that was a sneaky move that they need. The Celtics, my Celtics,
2: Mike. <laughs> yeah, I knew he was going Nice. back nice <laughs> back
1: as well. And Derek White from the Spurs. Any teams that made some sneaky moves that you like?
2: Yes, I, I do actually like what the Sacramento Kings did as well. I think that was one of the biggest ones I was very happy about the last couple of days. I, I like what the Charlotte Hornets did. I think they almost – you can almost say they fleeced my Wizards in a sense when they acquired Montrezl Harrell. He's one of the most efficient players on our team as far as what he brings to the rim, you know, you know with the pick and roll and getting to the basket and stuff like that. Um, it's what we got back for him and what they lost and what they got. I feel like they won that part of the trade, uh, us getting Ish Smith and Vernon Carey. And and then them getting Montrez, I do like what Charlie did in that sense. They they got a, a nice piece in Montrez, which is going to be a nice energizer bunny off the bench for that for that squad. I, I was very impressed with that pick, and I also like what Phoenix did getting Tory Craig back. Uh, for Jalen, for Jalen Smith, that's that's a nice pickup. He was nice for them in the playoffs last year, Savvy. He wasn't a, a big time scorer, but his length and his perimeter defense, and you know, just uh, his slashing and cutting and getting easy baskets. It's certain it's certain situations that Tory Craig was in where he was he was very formidable for the Suns, and I think they remember that and and they saw an opportunity to bring that back. And um, those those were two big ones that stood out to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, there for sure. Let's talk about, of course, Hollywood, the Los Angeles Lakers, Mike going without making any moves they're sticking with the roster as constructed that it is russell westwick and ad behind the leader that is lebron james and they're saying to themselves they'll see what happens in the buyer's market or if somebody drops that they like in waivers what was your your stance on on the lakers not making any moves
2: well the lakers did this to nobody but themselves that they, they understand the situation that they put themselves in when they acquired a Russell Westbrook to pair with the LeBron James and understanding that, that there was a possibility that, that that might not mesh well and uh, it, it might be a situation where we might have to move on. I, I, don't, I don't believe they, they, they thought it was going to be this bad. However, it's a situation where, uh, you know, when it comes to a trade, you know, a, a trade has to be, you know, equal value coming back on both sides. And a lot of people don't feel like, you know, they, 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 they were in a situation where they want to put a Russell Westbrook in right now. The, or, or or some of their some of their key players, so um, you know something that they might be asking for might not might not you know they might not feel equal conversation is there and it's just a, a, a lot of a lot of phone calls have been turned down going towards the Lakers uh, this all season as far as trades are concerned and stuff like that so it's a situation where they have to stick with the roster that they built uh, from from the ground up you know um, and we'll, we'll we'll see how far they make it but I'm not gonna lie to you Sebby I'm gonna say this. Now that Russell Westbrook knows that he hasn't been traded, I do feel like we're going to see a better version of Russ in L.A. I do, I do feel like, I do feel like, we're gonna, I do feel like he's getting a bad rap, and I do feel like this second half of the season you're going to see a better version of Russell Westbrook. But I do feel like part of the reason why you didn't see them make any major moves with whether it was Russ or uh, any any of the other you know role players to to, to get out of here outside of you know the, the the smaller ones. I do feel like, I do feel like that um. You are going to get a better version of Russell Westbrook, because mentally he knows that he's here to stay, and he 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 doesn't have that version to worry about. He can just go play basketball. Mm, things to come and things to
1: look out for in the second half of this season. One of the teams that was big, my big sellers was the Portland Trailblazers. Right, they've mm. sixty-three million in cap dumping the salary that was mm. McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans. That was probably the first. Big chip that happened in this offseason. Well, this trade deadline, should we say, and of course, um letting some of their other pieces go like Norman Powell to the Clippers. I thought that was a very good deal for the Clippers as well. Um, acquiring Norman Powell and Robert Covington. So now they've 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 made it known that you know it's a new era now. They aren't really rebuilding, Mike, they claim. They're saying that they're retooling to try to build this around Damian Lillard with the emergence of Anthony Simons that kind of gave him confidence to kind of uh, let go with CJ McCollum. So Portland, are, I feel like they're up to something, Mike, and I think they might be looking ahead in the uh, offseason, knowing <laughs> all that money to be able to lure
2: like a max contract for a star. Great minds think alike, brother. I couldn't agree with you more, and that's exactly what I was thinking as I was dissecting the Portland situation. When you think about the fact that they got rid of a CJ, you know, and, and a couple of the smaller pieces, that lets you know that they they had no ambition of getting rid of Dame. They just wanted to build around them. And some of the some of the pieces that they're making, some of the moves that they're making, let you know that they're thinking about the long haul and potentially bringing in another star in Portland. Uh, it, it sets up right for them. Dame, I feel like at heart, Sebby Dame really doesn't want to leave Portland. I think. He he really never wanted to leave. I think he wanted to really force their hand to show them that man, we got to make some moves. We got to make some things. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think really, force their hand on management, Mike. Yes, yeah, I think. I think he really wants to stay. He really loves Portland. He's really one of those guys that he doesn't want to jump around. I really think he he, he really feels that. So um, in, in this situation, you're, you're going to see Portland really make some moves later on, uh, whether it's the, this offseason season coming up or down the line in a, in a year or two. I, I do, I do feel like in the long haul, you're gonna see Damian Lillard happy in Portland because of the moves that they're making, and they just started uh, with something this weekend. It, it was unfortunate to see Dame and CJ go because you're talking about two low, two um, um, l- lower level college guys that, that that came up. You know, that weren't, weren't highly touted coming out of college. Came came from uh, you know, mid level schools, and you know, came out really made a name for themselves. and became one of the best uh, backcourt duos in the league for a long time, and it was it was special to watch. So uh, it, it was it was fortunate to see them go. But watching CJ and them go is gives them hope that they can get an even bigger star in Portland for the long haul, for bigger success, and to keep Dame happy.
1: Meanwhile, in the Big Easy, I think the Pelicans are satisfied with what they got. They oh, yeah. Guy, put the ball on the lead, Mike. They were one of the worst teams in the lower third in the league in scoring. They get a guy that is a legit 20, 23, or 25-point scorer to now, hopefully – Pair up with Brandon Ingram and Bi, and also the return of Zion Williamson. So we'll see how that works out, right? That that's their version, of their big three and the Big Easy. So we'll see how that occurs.
2: Yes, this Pelicans big three is, it can, can potentially be special, or like you said, depending on what when when Zion comes back, what uh, you know, whether or not uh, they plan to make it, they plan to make any moves going forward with the other other stars so uh when you think about the potential of a uh, a Brandon Ingram you know Zion Williamson with uh, CJ McCollum that's 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 a special set of players and and CJ McCollum has been one of those very he's one of the most underrated players in the league his skill set is uh, is is very special what he can do uh you know his handle is his uh footwork um, mid range three uh three point shot right. he he's he's really a three level he's really a special basketball player and um you know his skill set what he can bring to New Orleans uh, the fluidity in this game, it, 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 if, they, if they keep this core together, you, you could be building something special down in New Orleans.
1: Definitely, definitely there for sure. I think that's what everybody in New Orleans are hoping to happen this offseason. But, Mike, when we come back, we focus on our culture. It is our official Black History Month episode, one of the best and one of the greats. We have an expert to talk with us. That and much, much more. The SEVI Podcast Radio Show, live and streaming here only on our Orlando studios. Back here on our second segment here today on the Sunny Podcast Radio Show, a special edition of our show, Our Black History Month special. And of course, there once said, right, that Rosa Sat sat so Martin Luther King can walk so Obama can potentially run, which he did in 08. And so without further ado, we have one of our special guests that It's been for a long time that we've been wanting to have you, Ms. Jeanette Brown, who is a PR in communications as an expert. It's a pleasure to have you on here with us today.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to be here with you both today.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So obviously, this is a first that we love to do with any of our guests. We kind of want to get to know who you are and share where you came from. So talk to us a little bit
0: about that. Sure. So I uh, was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, born to immigrant parents and grew up in the 80s and and was influenced a lot by my uh, Caribbean uh, grandparents, as well as just my experiences, you know, going through the ranks of high school, college and then corporate America. Um, today, I am a the owner of a PR and communications company, and all of those experiences dating back to my childhood have shaped who I've become today um, in terms of communications, the ideas and uh, and programs that I help clients create for their businesses.
1: That's awesome. that's awesome. Well, uh, what about your upbringings, right? You talked about, um, being with your Caribbean parents, as obviously I have as well. We can both attest okay. to that. Okay. Um, talk to us about your upbringings, maybe some challenges, or maybe some things that you still um, hold on to.
0: Right. So, uh, so some of the challenges, uh, well, overall upbringing was, was very strict. I, I grew up in a strict household and um, like I mentioned to Caribbean uh parents and, and grandparents and a lot of what they had instilled in myself and my siblings were the importance of education and um and assimilation right making sure that we did what we needed to do get a good education get a good job and um and that would be what success would look like um that at the time seemed great um and some of the challenges that I experienced was my uh, my mom passed away when I was 17, and by the time I was uh, 22, everyone that had raised me uh, as a child had also passed. So those things were the, uh, you know, getting a good job, making sure I finished school were the things that kind of drove my, uh, uh, just, just kind of given, gave me a drive for life and accomplishment, and that is what I carried with me throughout my career. Um, so that was, uh, that was, you know, I guess the biggest challenge was being, uh, alone and on my own so young, but also having those rules or guide, ra- guide, um, guardrails rather in life that have helped me to get to where I am today. Today, those things are, uh, are, are the challenges that I, uh, encounter in life because, uh, you know, it's a different world, it's a different time and, uh, and a lot of, of course, education, drive, being resourceful, overcoming obstacles and, and figuring out how to navigate unique situations are all the things I took away. But um, those the, those things are kind of uh, have flipped in reverse today because I understand a lot more about life and uh, and our differences and, and kind of what has brought us to to talk about uh, what we're talking about today.
2: 100 percent. Go ahead, Mike. Nice, Janae, Has the PR um, perspective, as far as athletics is concerned, whether it was football, basketball, whatever you name it, do, do you feel like the the PR the PR part of, of mass communications in the media? Do you feel like that has evolved over time?
0: I do feel like it's evolved over time, and um, and you know, I've worked with uh, the first eight years of my career was in sports PR, and I've worked with NFL legends, MLB, NHL. I've worked with with a lot of different athletes, and I think a lot of the f- programs I started with were community programs where we had like tennis greats come into the community and 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 play with uh encourage girls or boys how to you know play tennis, inner city kids and you know Victor Cruz throwing a football around the field with with kids who can look up to him and aspire to be An athlete, but the the side that I think that we're dealing with today is is less about fan fans and skill and the excitement around the sport. But it's really taking a look at the business of all. And Mm. um, and I think that that's how it has evolved.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, awesome. Awesome there. Um, Talk to us about how do you incorporate the education aspect when it comes to um, African-American studies and, and, and culture through your PR
0: work? Sure. So. Today, what um, I like to do is encourage uh, my clients who have come to, to me or, or corporations that I've worked for. Um, there's usually like multicultural programming or, or wanting to, uh, you know, kind of play into pop culture and, uh, and come up with a campaign or idea. I always encourage them to be authentic about connecting with the community. I think, you know, back to you know your question previously is, you know, how has sports evolved? Messaging has also evolved in news over the years because mm. multicultural meant that you would take an English written press release maybe 15 years ago and translate it into Spanish. And all of a sudden you're appealing to two audiences. And I think today's consumer is a lot smarter than that. And they really want you to, understand the mm, cultural nuances
2: <laughs> right
1: yes. that's, that's a great yeah. point there. that's a great point there that you mentioned uh, there as well so um obviously you, you you've, you've you've been in the trenches you worked your way up uh to president and, and CEO operations of your company what is it that you guys do in terms of your mission serving and and, and to society what do you guys want to accomplish
0: so what we want to accomplish and my overall mission is to amplify and uplift um, my community and, um, and the healing of my community. And when I say community, it just doesn't necessarily mean my neighborhood. It also means the people who have a shared interest and that also includes business and engage them in anti-oppression work. And that education comes in Uh, you know, connecting with an audience authentically and making sure that when you're appealing to them, you're, you know, doing it in an authentic way and there's transparency in how you work and operate in the things that you bring to life um, for consumers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Nice. Yes. Jeanette, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Ben Simmons situation uh, uh, between the you know, the Philadelphia 76ers and now getting traded to the Brooklyn Nets. I just had a, a question to ask you with that whole situation, um, you know, with, with what was being said um, in the media publicly after the playoff game last year and everything. And, you know, the whole spat and all the, the, the turmoil and all the scrutiny that Ben has been facing o- over the past few months. How would you have handled that situation differently if you was his PR manager?
0: So I think that, um, I think I would have just had, um, you know, kind of step away from emotion and definitely speak more about, um, the business of sports and, um, and understanding that you're still playing for a league and you're representing, um, you're representing yourself as well as the teams involved, and that could impact your your future, I think it's really important to remove emotion and speak from a place of matter of fact, yeah. right? And, and I think that that's the best thing that anyone can do. I, I've heard a lot of speculation about even things that are happening today in the NFL, and a lot of emotions are high. And I think that when we are transparent and sometimes even fall on the sword and apologize um, for uh, responding with emotion uh, versus fact is um, is the business approach when it comes to something as passionate as as sports where you know we're, we're fans we're, we're players and that passion is usually what leads to wins, but mm-hmm. in communication it can lead to uh, it can lead to rumors and um, and missteps. So, what I? Did I think I would have accomplished as much success as I have today? Um, honestly, no. Um, I think it took time for me to actually realize that all of the things that I've done are were successes along the way, versus it being something that I, you know, envisioned um, that I've seen on you know TV or or some sort of you know kind of. Parade, you know, a parade that was supposed to happen for me or or it was really more of a feeling internally. And I'm really happy for the work that I have accomplished and my mission moving forward and how I plan to um, evolve communications as well as help brands uh, with blind spot consulting to avoid uh, communication crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. there for sure. Compassion is key. I wanted to get um, your thoughts on something else that's been going on in the uh, sport of NFL. Um, In their leagues, racism and prejudice has been a big thing Um, about a week and a half ago. um, The, you know, ratio of black coaches and white coaches in the NFL is 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 just mind blowing. Right. We only have three black coaches. And actually, there was a guy by the name of Brian Flores, who pretty much put himself in jeopardy and his head coaching opportunities to obviously addressed something far more significant than just being a head coach. Your thoughts about that story and how that came
0: upon. So I think that, um, I think Brian Flores is, um, is passionate about the sport. I think that he has uh, felt the pains that many people of color have felt in uh, a variety of industries. And I know that, you know, historically, the NFL has been one of the leagues that's been challenged with diversity. And, you know, the stats speak, speak for themselves. And I was really happy to hear, um, you know, Goodell mention that, Roger Goodell mentioned that this week, the NFL commissioner. And I think there's a lot that needs to be done, but from Brian's perspective, I think he knew that when he stood up that it was, it was more than about, it was more it wasn't just about his career. It was about so much more and so many other people. And I think that that action that he took has actually impacted people's careers in the course of one week, other people's careers, creating opportunities because I think everyone actually took a look at what was going on or what's going on and the sports side of the NFL as mentioned and uh, the leadership, uh, the imbalance of player, diversities of player and leadership is is. Is
2: alarming. It is. It is. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, uh, Jeanette. When, um, you know the 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 the, camar- the camaraderie of the players when it comes to you know um uh, both sports, whether football or basketball, the camaraderie of it. Do you see a, a a collective effort in the players, or you know, trying to speak up for the coaches uh, in in that sense?
0: I think there is a collective effort. Um, but uh, I don't know that everyone is as public as they would like to be. Mm. And um, I feel that, you know, a lot of people, um, especially from my experience, you know, they're, all, they're always rumblings in the locker room or in, some, in the privacy of someone's home about how everyone is feeling or whether they witness bias. But a lot of folks don't necessarily want to come forward and be public. Because of backlash and I think we've seen that a lot with, you know, people like Kaepernick and um, and other players over the years where you know the the best thing to do is to create a fund and and kind of be politically correct about something where sometimes you need to, uh, you know, kind of take the route of Brian Flores to force people to pay attention to an issue. Otherwise, it's just the cycle is just going to continue.
1: Good thoughts. Great thoughts there. One of the biggest advocates um, that use their platforms very well is none other than LeBron James, LeBron James himself, and guys like Chris Paul in their movement for the Black Lives Movement. What's your thoughts on their stance and how they use their platforms to address a lot of this, um, you know, oppression or injustice and things of that nature?
0: So I think uh, these guys are all great. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that they have, um, have all taken a unique approach And also in some cases even uh, come together to uh, for a greater good. And um, what I see is true leadership, uh, bravery, and also sacrifice and realizing that it's not just about them and how much money they can make and how well their families can live, but also extending it to a movement that encompasses so much for people who look just like them. And I'm sure, um, you know, to some degree, many of them have also experienced um, discrimination in some way or bias along the way. Um, I don't know a person of color who hasn't because there's so many systemic issues out there. So I commend them. And I see it as a true demonstration of sportsmanship.
1: Yeah, those are true leaders of men there. For um, sure. You talked about your brand and your company, your business. Is there any opportunities perhaps in the future for any black athletes? Um, You managing any athletes or any PR related um, projects in the future?
0: Yes. um, I would love to, to work with athletes again and, um, and also help with uh, their careers. I know recently, you know, NIL was implemented for college, uh, you know, athletes and, And the first thing that came to my mind was just like, oh my gosh, I could, you know, I could help um, athletes in, you know, who who are not even in the NFL or NBA. I can help them when they're in high school, when they're still impressionable and assist with that grooming process while still helping people stay grounded. And I think, you know, in the past athletes have been forced to kind of walk a line and show up a certain way. And I think we should all embrace our uniqueness and our identities, and as well as the the thing that makes us unique on, off the field, in the boardroom, out of the boardroom, and you still bring that level of excellence to the table. So um, I hope that, you know, if someone wants to reach out to me, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Jeanette Brown on LinkedIn, and um, I'd be happy to, you know, utilize my skills as well as network and experience in working with athletes again.
2: Absolutely. Go ahead, Mike. No doubt. Um, Jeanette, what, what, do, what do you think of, uh, about as far as, you know, the, tra- the trajectory of, you know, women equality in sports and, you know, you know uh, your your perspective on that and, and where we stand today?
0: Well, I, I do think that a lot more needs to be done. And um, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I, I, you know, I just got an alert about, um, you know, women, you know, today being uh, the U.S. actually delivered a major legislative victory for the Me Too movement and kind of, uh, you know, clearing a house, pass bill to guarantee victims of workplace sexual harassment or assault are free to pursue lawsuits in court. And the first thing that came to my mind is that it is February 10, 2022. And, um, and a lot of these things, these uh, disputes or arbitration usually happens behind closed doors or there are just there are just still so many nuances and bias that prevent women um, and in men in uh, many cases to to just kind of have equal and fair opportunities um, as well as uh, as be viewed equally and um, and that kind of like you know old school way of thinking about the rules and roles of men and women. Those lines are so blurred today that um, I think people need to take a step back and, and really look at how much we've evolved and take time to educate themselves on on what truly being fair um, in gender and race and, um, and also sexual uh, orientation um, really means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is actually our favorite time um, with our, all of our guests, especially more importantly, our first time guests. We like to do this fun game that we apply um, to kind of get a feel of, you know, it's outside of what we talk about, outside of um, what, you know, you do and just kind of get to know the interpersonal
2: person who you are. So, Mike, I'm going to let you take it away. this time. All right. Jeanette. So we talked about, you know, we, we, we know your love for PR and the media side. But as far as mass communications is concerned, if you had to choose uh, between these two sides, this or that, would you rather be on, on camera or, or, or behind the camera? We're working, you know, the, the tech side.
0: I would uh, rather be on camera.
2: Okay. Ooh, interesting, interesting.
0: Why do you say that? Uh, because I've never been on camera and the things that I worried about in the past are no longer relevant today because uh, I know that I have something great to bring to the table behind camera, on and off camera. So for me, that's like a challenge. I'm ready.
1: Okay. Interesting, interesting. This is, this is a, a good one. Do you rather your aunt's... Home cooking, or you prefer your mother's home cooking?
0: Uh, I say my mother's.
1: Ooh, interesting! Interesting. <laughs> Why so?
0: So um, I think that uh, my my mom was a great cook, and I think that I've got accustomed to. I miss her cooking uh, since you know she she passed when I was seventeen, and I think my aunts are the ones who I've learned from, and um, and I, I I miss her food specifically
2: go ahead mike which 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 sporting event do you look forward to the most the super bowl or the nba finals
0: i would have to say the super bowl okay. <laughs> because the energy level is intense i'm looking forward to the game um and uh and and just the excitement Uh, there's a sense of community around the super bowl that has extended into lifestyle in so many different ways. And I think it's a great moment in time for everyone to just rally and get together. And whether you're going to talk about politics or the game, just get it together and, uh, and joining in the fun is cool.
1: That is, that is awesome. Your opinion on this, Uh rated or underrated (laughs) the lifestyle in atlanta you mentioned that you were born in brooklyn but i, I want to get your perspective on that i see a lot of mixed views on this overrated or underrated atlanta lifestyle
0: i think it's underrated do
2: mm. mm.
0: you want me to share why yeah absolutely <laughs> Okay, so so being from Brooklyn is someone who is like, oh, I'm never leaving Brooklyn, Brooklyn to the death of me. I um, traveling to Atlanta recently there. I realized that there's a level of energy and excitement and, uh, and just buzz in the airport alone, right? In the downtown area, the city, I've watched it explode, if you will. And I'm excited to see how it continues to evolve. That's awesome. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, if you
2: um overrated or underrated this year's Super Bowl halftime um performance.
0: Oh I'd have to say underrated.
1: Mmm. Interesting. I sense I since there's a little Snoop Dogg fan or <laughs> maybe yeah. Blige, yeah.
0: yes <laughs> yeah fans fans of everyone i'm disappointed about m you know to be honest but i think i think the anything that's happening around the show whether participation or not is exciting um it's different you know like 10 years ago like would you have thought that this would have been the lineup probably no. not
1: no not at right? all right we close not at
0: all. right so to me it's a statement in itself it's a statement in itself, and I think it's dope. I'm I'm excited to see the halftime show.
1: No doubt. Here's our last question here before uh, we let you go. Here, you are Brooklyn from and Brooklyn raised, so we got to ask the question. Um, you know, Nas or Jay Z? You know? <laughs> so I, I I gotta I gotta ask you that that question.
0: Yikes! I'm I'm gonna have to. Wow! I'm gonna have to say, Jay.
2: You know she's gonna stay you home. You know she's gonna, yeah. she's gonna stay home. Nas from Queens. You know how I that know, goes.
0: It, right, right, exactly. Yeah, but yeah,
2: Nas is from Queens. That's my He's, he's, an, amazing
0: he's yeah. an amazing lyricist. He's an amazing lyricist.
1: Yeah. Those guys are really awesome. Well, yeah. folks, that was our conversation here today with uh, Jeanette Brown. If you guys want to connect with her, her description to all her social medias and LinkedIn. And information about our company will be listed in the description box below. But if you have any last words, Jeanette, that you'd like to share with us for our audience, please do
0: sure so well thank you so much for having me i feel grateful to join you guys in this moment and have this very relevant conversation um yes anyone can reach out to me on linkedin and or um, instagram but also i wanted to say that i'm uh, you know diversity equity and inclusion in communications is is really important today and it speaks to the evolution of the consumer uh, generations, as well as um, as well as news. And I think that um, that we are, are in a position of power today more so than in the past because of social channels. And I think we also have to be more careful to avoid crises communications because of the accessibility of news and messaging and inconsistency. So I'm I'm happy to extend myself to assist um, with brands, people, athletes, and and look forward to see how things continue to unfold in this space.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to have you on and we have to have you as a returning guest with us in the future there for sure. Um, wow. Thank appreciate- you. And the family there as well. But when we come back, Mike and I, we talk fun things in Super Sunday in the Super Bowl. This and much, much more in our great show.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Have a good one, Jeanette.
0: Okay, you too, guys. Take care. All right.
1: And we are back here on our third and final segment for today on our special show. Our third and final segment always consists of Mike's closing arguments. But first, Mike, we have to discuss about Super Sunday, the Super Bowl, the day right before Valentine's Day. You see how they do that, Mike? They, they, they do that right before V-Day, which is, yes. which is I, I, absolutely crazy. But nevertheless, we've got a very peculiar matchup, right? A team that was you know, written off that wasn't supposed to be here. And then the team that had been loading all year long in the off season to be in this position. And that's the Los Angeles Rams. Um, A lot of key matchup and X factors. What are you looking at, Mike, that you think is a particular X factor that's going to dictate the outcome of this ballgame?
2: The offensive line of the, off- the the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals it, it could definitely dictate this game because of, offensively for the Los Angeles Rams if they are able to run the football with with the the outside threat that that is you know um, you know Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know Cooper Cup and those guys if they're able to run the ball with Akers, Michelle and these guys. And, and really keep that balanced attack, that's going to be huge. And also for the Cincinnati Bengals as well. If they're able to protect Joe Burrow and keep this vaunted defensive line off of his back, off as far as hits, sacks, things of that nature, and keep him upright, they put themselves in a great position for Joe Burrow to have a field day against this defense. So it, it really comes down to both offensive lines to me. Uh, who, who's who's going to um, potentially come out with, with the victory in this game?
1: Close, close, close. I like that thought process. I'm going to go... Uh for both teams. I think for Cincinnati, Mike, it's Joe Mixon, right? A guy that had okay. 16 touchdowns in a regular season. For the right reasons you said this is a loaded pass rush, right? You've got three guys that that, that can get after you. Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, um, who's only he did he's a Super Bowl MVP, and of course the greatness of Aaron Donald. One way to slow down a pass rush, Mike, you knowing being in the trenches is being able to run the football, right? Okay. And not away from Aaron Donald because he's so fast and so quick, Mike. You want to be able to run at his side. Some people try to think that they fear him so much you got to run away from him. He's going to hock you down. So you got to be able to man up and run in between the tackles. And Joe Mixon and Samaje Ryan, I think, are going to have to be huge because if you can run the football, we all know that slows the pass rush a lot of men in the box and then you can get opportunities like T Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd outside in one-on-one matchups and that also helps Joe Burrow to slow down that pass rush when he when when he uh uh, throws the football and then for me on the defensive end uh, on the other side of of the football I, I think for the Rams is you know Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham right these are the two guys that are gonna have to be able to get open I assume that they're gonna double Cooper Cup and so Odell has an opportunity here along with Van Jefferson to to stretch the field vertically and stretch the field in the intermediate routes if they can do that and Matthew Stafford can stay away from the pick sixes and the turnovers that bodes well for the Rams so those are my two keys
2: and ride that home crowd. I think that's one of the keys as well. Ride that home crowd. It's going to be a majority of LA Rams fans in the building. I know a lot of Cincinnati fans are going to travel, a lot of football fans are going to be there rooting against the Rams, whatever the case may be. But you utilize that home crowd, that home energy, that aura in that crowd to in that stadium to your advantage. It's going to be electric in there and I think that can be an expected too.
1: Absolutely, absolutely there for sure. A lot of things to stand for. For She mentioned some good things. I forgot this, the halftime show was happening with Dr. Dre and yeah, yeah, yeah. with Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige. What, what do you think, Mike? How do you think this is going to pan out? Are you excited about it?
2: Yeah, it's special. It's actually one of the very few um, um, Super Bowl halftime shows I was looking forward to. And uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that. Uh, it's, 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 it's for the a, culture, Mike. It's for the culture. It's a pure hip-hop. It's a pure hip hop halftime show, and I think on all levels, there's no, you know, deciding out. There's all there's pure hip hop on that stage at halftime, and I think it's gonna be a party uh, throughout the game. There's no, there's not gonna be any, uh, uh, you know, smoke breaks. Yeah, uh, bad uh Uh, flipping the screen, the channel (laughs) store. You know, there's there's nothing. I don't I won't I don't think they're gonna see too many store runs and, and, and. store runs and during halftime this year. I think people are going to be locked and loaded, ready to go, and ready to watch this thing full out from start of the game kickoff all the way to the end of it until we crown a winner. So I think that's the biggest key is, uh, is, is that we have not not just one star, but we got about four of them too. So we're going to be hit from all different sides.
1: Definitely, definitely there for sure. This comes your time, Mike. You take it away. The spotlight's on you.
2: Yes, 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 uh, brothers and sisters. I want to. I want to talk to y'all about something here, and it was something I had a heart-to-heart with a good brother the other day. It was. It, it wasn't a personal heart-to-heart. It was more just you know sports talking basketball and stuff like that. And I was telling them how you know as much as I love this player empowerment um, um, era that we're living in right now, where players are really you know really dictating a lot of a lot of the rules. Uh, not a lot of rules, but a lot of the you know moves that are going on these days. I do feel a part of me does. Uh, also hated at the same time because I do miss the era of really building with a core group of players over a, a strong set of, um, you know, a strong strong amount of years, at least five years or so, five years or more. Just really building with a solid group of guys, building with a core, and really building with that. So sometimes even longer than that, five, ten years longevity. I, I do miss that, and I think this aspect of basketball that we see this aspect of of sports that we see, we're we're really gonna we're really going away from that aspect, and um, you know as much as it's, it's fun seeing, you know from a fan perspective and, and just you know just a fan of the game, it's fun seeing these guys go on different teams and seeing these different lineups and these different skilled bass skilled players come together and play together. It does, it does. From an old school fan, it does, it does hurt it, it, to it, some it, degree. a competitive. You miss that competitive fervor. You know, back and forth of, you know, every time seems like it seems like we're running away from adversity almost every time things get hard or things get tough. It's like we're sending the wrong message to, you know, future players or, you know, the fans in in, in society. Like every time, you know, some adversity hits. Oh, let's go. Let's get traded to another team or let's or let me pout and, uh, you know, sit out and force my way out so I get traded to another team. I feel like that can send a wrong message in the long haul to the youth and, you know, to future players and stuff like that. However, I do understand the player empowerment um, era that we stay in it. I just hope they utilize it to the best of their advantage and they're not using it as a tool for, um, you know, to, 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 to really bring more harm to the future than, they, than, than they're bringing positive. I hope, I hope they're using it for more of a positive than a negative.
1: Hey, everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight, if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online... The Sebby Podcast is wherever you go.